Fatherhood is fascinating. One day you're dad of the year, and the next day is, well, the next day. Welcome to Positively Dad, a podcast designed to help dads embrace the journey. Thank you for joining us for Positively Dad. My name is James Shaw. I'm your host, and I'm excited that you have decided to join us today. I started Positively Dad earlier this year to be a resource to dads so that we can all be great. And, and, and that's what I wanted to be, right? I have a seven-year-old daughter. My wife, Terry, and I have a seven-year-old named Naomi. And when I found out I was going to be a dad, I said, I want to be the best dad ever. And went out looking for resources and just didn't find a bunch out there for dad. And, and so the idea of Positively Dad came to mind then. And then finally, it took seven years. And then finally, I launched it back in March. It's been a lot of fun. And I thank you for listening. My goal is, is just to have conversations that are going to help all of us grow, to be great partners, great people, great parents. And that we're going to learn together about things, maybe talk about things we wouldn't have thought about before, and, and just maybe get a little, di- little bit of a, a different perspective. So that's my goal every Monday. On Thursdays, I also release an episode where I talk to a dad about being a dad. And those are a lot of fun. I've met some pretty cool dads, and I've learned a lot about what they're experiencing and how I can grow. So today, we're going to talk to an expert about something. Then Thursday, join us as we talk to a dad. And then finally, at the end of this episode today... Uh, Naomi will join us. She's my seven-year-old, and she'll do the kids' corner and talk about whatever she wants to talk about. That's kind of what we do. So today we're going to look at middle school. Now I don't have a middle schooler; I have a second grader, and and I've got a lot of friends though with middle schoolers, and and it just seems like such a really interesting time. There's a lot that's going on. A lot of social things are happening. The dynamic of how their school day looks is changing. You know, they're just going through lots of changes as people. There's a lot going on. I came across a book called Middle School Matters. Uh, Phyllis Fagel is the author of that. She's a counselor in, in a Washington, D.C. school. She uh, has her own private practice, and she also is a columnist for the Washington Post. And I came across her book and asked her to be on so that we could have a conversation and, and, and understand as parents, really, what's middle school about and how can we help our middle schooler through that time? So let's jump in and have that conversation. Phyllis, thanks so much for joining us on Positively Dad. Thank you for having me on the show. My pleasure. So you wrote this book about middle school, which is such a fascinating time for our kids. I mean, it's a lot going on. Yes, it's a, it's a time of enormous change and social churn and heightened expectations. And suddenly they're taken out of an environment they know very well and put into a new puberty. So yes, they have a lot going on at this age. They do. And I don't think if you ever asked anyone, oh, do you want to do middle school again? The answer is going to be yes. So... Um, you know, it's thinking about all the stuff going on at school with friends, with, with parents, there's a lot that goes on and, and you go, Hey, this, this three year time period really matters. It does. And I'm still waiting for someone to come up to me and tell me that middle school is the very best time of their (laughs) life. Right. I don't know that that will ever happen. And I think that's in part because we went through it when we also were going through puberty. So we have these inflated negative memories of the phase ourselves. So I think that as we approach it with our kids, a lot of us have some some dread, but I would argue that it can be a very joyful time. It's just that we have to support kids differently. Well, you've worked during this phase. Yeah, you've worked with this age group for a long time and my guess is that you actually love it, like that you find these wonderful little humans to be pretty awesome people. Yeah, it's my favorite breed of people. Kindergarten and first grade is probably a close second. I work in a K through eight school and I like the little ones too. But middle schoolers have this really unique blend of excitement about 
equity and social justice and wanting to make a positive difference in the world and insecurity and wondering if they're good enough. So they're really needy and looking for reassurance and looking to connect with adults and eager to test out ideas on their peers and on their teachers. So they're really fun to talk to and to hang out with. I bet. Now, there's a lot going on at this time frame. As I was thinking about it and researching your book, there's, you know, they definitely have new friendships developing. Um, school just gets tougher. We go from having maybe one or two teachers to probably multiple teachers. There is definitely more stuff happening socially um, with them. There's boyfriends and girlfriend relationships happening. Um, there's a, it's emotional. I mean, there's a lot going on. Where should we start our conversation on how, you know, parents can be aware of what's happening for their middle schooler? I think the key thing to parenting a middle schooler is, a middle schooler is recognizing that it's a, de- a developmental phase where they're really still interested in your opinion and in your thoughts, even as it seems like they're turning inward and pulling away. But they will bristle if you tell them what to do because they're also looking to feel competent and to have more independence and to see themselves as someone who can solve their own problems. So it's that walking that fine line between showing curiosity and trying to make their world perfect. We need to get in there and be talking to them and figuring out what it is that's bothering them, but then really helping them be the architect of the solutions to their problems. Well, so how do we do that? Because, you know, I don't have a middle schooler. I have a second grader. She's seven. And in life is perfect right now. I, I mm-hmm. People say, what's your favorite age? I go every age because it's been fun. And I hear a lot about, well, well, just wait, you know, wait till she's 12 or whatever. And, and so I don't know if I buy into that. I guess I'll find out. How do we connect and have conversations and motivate and inspire and and how do we navigate that? I think we have to set aside our own insecurity that our child doesn't want us or that they're not interested in talking to us when we want to talk to them. So right now with your second grader, they're probably bubbling over with excitement when they come home from school. They want to tell you everything good that happened, everything bad that happened, whether or not the toilet flushed before they sat down. You know, I work Mm -hmm. with second graders too, and I love them. They're hilarious. They'll say Mm -hmm. anything. And then suddenly you have this 11-year-old who you pick them up and they get in your car and you ask them how school was and they grunt at you and they don't answer, or they want to just look at their phone. And the tendency is to get angry or to be upset or to feel like a chauffeur and to really want to force your child to engage with you. But you have to recognize that for that middle schooler, going through the motions of the day with all of the extreme highs and lows simply that simply come along with being a tween and navigating all those new challenges and wondering if they're good enough athletically and intellectually and interpersonally and trying to figure out where they can fit in the social hierarchy. That is really exhausting. And so when they get in your car, they may just need some time to decompress. It's not that they don't want to talk to you. They really just don't want to talk to anyone. They need a break. And that is especially true for introverts. So knowing your child and knowing their needs and then being ready and willing to engage with them when they would like to talk to you. And that might not be at a time that's particularly convenient for you. And then I think the second key component to communicating well with middle schoolers is making sure that your tone and your body language and the words you choose are all consistent and convey authenticity and do not convey any judgment or criticism. I know somebody who uses the phrase Botox brow because you want to make sure you're not scrunching your forehead or showing any uh, any sign that you don't approve of how they're behaving because as it is, they're insecure and hoping that you think highly of them. 
Yeah, they can see that stuff. They can tell mm-hmm. they're smart. It seems like that they're just responding the way we would respond if we've had a intense day. I mean, you, you, you get in the car and you just want to have some peace and quiet, and that's kind of what they want. So just understand that they're just people like we are. I think that is a really great summary. But for parents, the disconnect comes because we're used to having these younger children who for a while seem to be able to have the energy and the interest in talking to us whenever we wanted to talk to them. So I think it's making that transition to realizing, yes, they're people. They're just like we are. You know, we don't want people to judge us. We don't want people to criticize us. We don't want people to tell us what to do. We want to be treated as the experts in our own lives. And that is really what middle school is. It's this time when they're coming into their own and they want to be treated with respect and they want to be treated as someone who ha- who who can navigate their way through the world on their own. Where's the spot that you think outside of this that parents have the biggest opportunity to show up for their middle schooler? I would say in the arena of helping to solidify good values, because by the time they're in high school, they have really started to look much more to their peers for what they should believe. But in middle school, you still have the time to get in there and they have that intellectual capacity to absorb what's important to you. So I will tell parents really verbalize your values. You know, I don't, I I want you to apologize because in our family, we value respect or we value kindness and empathy. And when you are behaving in a certain way, you know, if you're tempted to lie and you don't to really say it out loud, you know, I really wanted to uh, tell my boss that the street was blocked from a snowstorm so that I could stay home, but you know, that would be untruthful. So I'm going to go to work. So really putting language behind your actions to, in order to get them to internalize your values is critical in middle school. If you want them to retain those values for life, it may seem like they're pushing back and that they are not internalizing them, but they're listening. So this is a really crucial time when it comes to to this type of thing. I think so. And I think that's also true for accepting differences in other people, because if you think about the developmental phase, these kids are trying to figure out if they are good enough and if they're okay as they are, and they're testing out some mean behavior and they're trying to figure out socially, you know, who is the right match and where do they fit? So they can be extremely critical of any kind of difference, including their own. So the more that we as parents teach them to embrace others' quirkiness or to help them understand that everyone has a story and everyone is deserving of respect, the more likely they are to realize that they too deserve to be treated with dignity and that they too can stand out and be different. I heard a great quote the other day that a seventh grader uh, made and the comment was, you have to feel like you fit in in order to stand out. And parents can really give kids that social bravery. How can we do that? Well, we can take risks in our own life so that we are modeling it for them. We can be careful about how we talk about our mistakes. So if we, let's say we make a mistake at work or we flub a presentation, we could come home and they could overhear us talking to our partner about how we really messed up and how we're worried we're going to get fired and how, uh, you know, we're always making mistakes and we never get it right and be really hard on ourselves. Or we could be saying something like, you know, I, I really messed up this presentation, but I think what would help me next time is to bring my notes up there with me. And this happens to everyone. So I have another presentation in two weeks and I'm going to test out this new way of doing it. And, and hopefully it will go better. 
and I'm just going to move forward. So modeling that it's okay to make mistakes, modeling that resiliency and, and showing them how we're coping with setbacks and also keeping a sense of humor. So if you're 13 and you have no one to sit with in the lunchroom, you're not going to find that very funny. That's just going to be hurtful. So to the extent that we can share moments where we've had a social setback, either as a child or as an adult even, the more we can do that and also find a way to make light of it or find a way to find some humor in these dark moments, the better able they will be to cope with them themselves. I bet. it's. It seems like, I mean, we talk about how important our environment is and parents are part of the environment. I mean, we're people that live in the house with them. And so the way we talk and how we communicate with each other and what we say about ourselves is definitely going to impact these kids at such a, a vulnerable time, I guess. Yes. And it's not that it's any less true when, you know, with your second grader or with an older child, you know, this is these are parenting techniques and skills we want to be using throughout our child's life. It's just that in middle school, it's a prime time to really get in there because this is an age when bullying peaks, because this is an age when their confidence drops, when research shows their creativity drops. So if we can get in there and solidify their values and help them preserve their confidence and help them feel that they are worthy of respect and teach them how to be a good friend and choose a good friend at this very vulnerable, insecure age, they will take that forward with them for the rest of their life. Yeah, I bet they will. Now, school gets tougher, too. And I we had an episode earlier um, with a researcher from the University of Wisconsin who talked about grades dropping. It's very common to see kind of grades go down in sixth grade and what's the correlation and all that kind of stuff. So how do we help our kids with the academic challenges that come with moving out of elementary and into middle? So this goes along with that perfectionism or being willing to take risks and make mistakes. I think we have to remind ourselves that the stakes are low in middle school and that this is a good time for kids to experiment and take risks and not always get A's. For some kids, this might be the first time they get grades or the first time they don't get straight A's. And they are looking around for reassurance that it's okay. And it's a time when they're more likely to conclude, you know, I'm not a math student or I'm not good at art. This is an age when kids... If the, if the picture they draw doesn't look like the, look like a literal representation of the object, they might want to start over, which is obviously uh, not great for creativity and not great for risk taking. So the more we as parents can let them know the positives to this period of experimentation, you know, if you're good at everything, then how are you ever going to figure out what you want to do or where your strengths and interests intersect? And we want to be teaching them how to be proactive instead of drawing conclusions about their ability more globally. So if they don't do well on a math quiz, instead of them walking away and saying, I'm terrible at math, I'm never going to do math, I'm going to be terrible in high school and beyond, and I can't even choose any career that involves math, you really want them to be viewing it as a situational, temporary situation. It's a quiz. What can you do so that you can better understand the material and focus on the process and move forward and keep learning? It's almost like, and I, I don't mean this to be flippant, I'm just saying it's, it's almost like as parents, we can just go, it's just middle school, relax. It's, it's sixth grade, seventh, eighth, eighth grade. It's not the end of the world if, uh, if our grades take a dip. Yes, and I, it, it's sort of a paradox because on the one hand, it's this critical phase where they can absorb so much information and they can learn how to cope with setbacks and they can learn all of these social skills that are so important for life. But 
at the same time, the grades themselves have no lasting repercussions. You know, maybe it will impact what place, what placement they get in one or two of their high school classes, but more likely it's going to have no impact whatsoever. So it's a great time to focus on those soft skills, on everything else, but you know, everything in addition to the, to the academics, so that it's not just about getting uh, an A in a class. It's how did you work on that group project? Mm-hmm. How would your peers say you were as a teammate? When you lost that game, uh, did you, you know, throw the ball at somebody on the opposing team and yell? Or did, were you a really good sport? And really, you know, honing in and focusing on those skills that we may not have quite as much time to devote to later on when they're in high school. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to jump in to, to think about for a middle schooler was all of that social stuff. You know, we, I imagine you see bullying go up a little bit, start to increase at this, at this phase. Again, we might be entering our first relationship at the, you know, at this, at this time. Um, how, how, you know, what do we as parents need to know about those things? One of the one of the things I tell parents is that it's just as important to focus in on whether your kid is being mean as it is to worry about whether they're being bullied. I think for if a parent sees that their child has friends and is doing fine, they don't tend to worry about how kind they are to others. But the research shows that kids who trade on power and aggression as opposed to likability to make friends, that's only adaptive through about 12th grade at best, but they're not learning those skills that they need to get along with others. And the research shows that in the long run, that has negative repercussions for how much higher education they get, for their relationships, for uh, substance abuse, for depression and anxiety. So we really want to be focusing in as much on teaching kids how to be a good friend as how to choose a good friend. And we want to be focusing on whether or not our kids are being bullied as well. We do need to understand what bullying is, and that is you know, intent to wound, and there's a power differential, and it's repeated, and you know, it's not just a conflict between two peers of equal status. I think we do tend to not mis- misunderstand bullying. But if there is actual bullying going on, then we do want to make sure we're not promising our kids that we won't tell. We can engage them in the problem-solving process and ask them how how they want us to approach it. But kids in middle school still need help with those kinds of situations. Yeah, and we did a, one of our very first episodes was on bullying, and we spent a bunch of time talking about if your kid is the bully. And I think that we tend to think that our kid isn't the one doing it. Well, some kid is the bully, and um, and what does that look like? You know, it's not just necessarily not getting along. It's the things you mentioned. So that'd be a good one for parents to go back to and listen if they're curious. What about relationships now? You mean romantic relationships? Yeah. So this is a time when kids really they don't necessarily know the difference between physical attraction and crush and love and maybe just wanting to be somebody's buddy. They don't necessarily know what it means to treat somebody with respect or to be treated with respect. So these are things we really want to be talking about with our kids and making it clear that as they enter into new behaviors like dating, that we expect them to have a conversation with us about it. If you are too direct, it will feel too intrusive to a middle schooler. So you don't want to sit down and say to a 13-year-old, you know, who do you like and who do you have a crush on? First of all, kids that age don't think you have any right to know. They do understand that you have a right to know about safety or something that involves plans or a party. But when it comes to that, their internal life and who they like, 
they, it's up to them whether or not they want to share it. So we don't want to pry too much, but we can use things like the media. If there's an article about locker room talk, or if there's an article about sexting scandal, or if there is a movie with characters who aren't treating each other very well, or who maybe are treating each other very well, we can take advantage of that emotional distance to start a conversation with them about these issues. Yeah, because we definitely probably want to be paying attention to that. So, all right, as we wrap up, I'm just curious, what is the you know, if, if, if you have a, a dad of a middle schooler sitting down and talking with you and you want him to know the most important thing he needs to know as the dad of a middle schooler, what is that? What I think is extremely interesting when it comes to fathers is the research shows that this is probably the most critical age for fathers to be involved with daughters in particular, but it also tends to coincide with the time when fathers take a huge step back as their daughters are entering puberty. And understanding and recognizing that you as a father are still very influential, particularly when it comes to teaching skills like conflict resolution or instilling healthy body image, there are some areas where fathers really shine and recognizing that power and recognizing how influential you are, I think is critical and, and not, not relegating that to, to their mother or another female figure in their life. So what does that look like? What should our involvement be? I have a daughter. So what types of conversations should I be having with her in five and six years? I think it's important to understand what she's worrying about and helping her address those concerns. So the the story I can share is I was talking to a writer named Peggy Orenstein, and her daughter was having conflict at school, and she really didn't know how to help her. It suddenly hit her that she really, she herself was so conflict avoidant, and she was so worried about preserving her friendships that she didn't want to speak her mind. And her husband stepped in and was really able to show the daughter how to be direct and how to maintain eye contact and body language that was, you know, take a strong stance without alienating somebody, but really advocate for herself. That happens to be the example in their household, that that was the father's strength. So I think it, it depending on the family structure and, and if there is, if there are two, two people or two parents raising the child, then to take a look at what your respective strengths are and to understand that you're not going to be good at everything and to have you as the father step in and, and guide and offer advice in the areas where you have more experience or where you feel more competent. Well, and that connection is so important between dad and the kids and to keep that going to middle school is going to pay off in a big way. So that's awesome. I think we've learned a lot from you today. Tell us a little bit about the book. It's Middle School Matters, where we can find it, and then how we can you know, stay in touch with you. Sure. So the book is Middle School Matters, the 10 Key Skills Kids Need to Thrive in Middle School and Beyond and How Parents Can Help. It is available on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or anywhere books are sold. I also have a Twitter feed where I post a lot of resources about the middle school phase, and that's at pfagel, F-A-G-E-L-L. And I write... Uh, fairly frequently for the Washington Post and other publications. Yeah, I was reading a bunch of your stuff from the Washington Post. I'm an online subscriber to them and uh, so so many good things. And I think as parents out there now, and it's 2019, so we can add tech to it and just different things. There's a lot we can be learning and you're offering a lot of advice. So we appreciate it. And I appreciate you taking time to, to be on Positively Dad today. Thanks so much. Thank you. 
Great stuff from Phyllis and uh, such great advice. And and the thing for me, and again, understanding my perspective as the parent of a second grader, not a sixth, seventh, or eighth grader. Uh, and the thing to me, though, was how important that social dynamic is, that, that truthfully, middle school is more about EQ than IQ. It's more about understanding how to build relationships, deal with things that come up because of it, and less about what happened in math class. And we're not discounting, obviously, what's going on academically. It's just that that maybe the goal of that is to learn more and how to interact, get along with people, deal with conflict, handle the social things that come up from that. And those skills can help you, you know, really succeed down the line. So anyway, I'm glad that uh, Phyllis could be on with us. And make sure you check out her book and also uh, look for her stuff in the Washington Post. All right, well, let's wrap up the way we wrap up every episode of Positively Dad. And that is we take a trip to the kid's corner where we hear from our second grader, Naomi. What are the kids thinking? Time to find out in the Kids' Corner with your host, Naomi. Hi, my name is Naomi Shaw, and today we will be talking about falling down and getting back up and doing your affirmations. Affirmations is something that makes you get confident um, of what bad things is going to happen and you'll be like, no, this is going to be way better than being bad because it will help you get better and better and learn more to be safe and also to get back up. This is about the getting back up. So if you need to get back up again, just do it and you'll, you might cry or you might hurt yourself, but it doesn't matter. All that matters is that you get back up. I fell down yesterday and it hurt my bum and I got back up, I cried, I fell again, got back up and I was crying the whole way home. I was on my rollerblades. That's it for Nanny's Corner. Have a great day. Bye. Yep, when you fall down, get back up. That's a good lesson you might learn in middle school too and you learn it as an adult. She learned it, she did learn it yesterday when she was out in her rollerblades and fell and she did spend some time sad. And then it's funny, you just, she starts saying an affirmation. Hers is, I'm strong, I'm powerful, I can do it. And when she started to say those affirmations, she got back up and started skating again. I was really proud of her. We posted a picture of it on our Instagram. You can check it out at Positively Dad. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search at Positively Dad. You'll find us. And uh, we're online, PositivelyDad.com. In fact, if you liked what you listened to today, would you share it with other people so they know about it too? Let them know about um, you know, the things we're talking about and how it might help them. If you'd rate us on whatever platform you're listening, that would be awesome too. Maybe even leave a review and five stars. That would be great. And, you know, we're just really working to get this Positively Dad message out there. We're at almost 3,000 downloads of the podcast now, which is just awesome. And we, we just love your support in helping people learn about us. So, so make sure you let them know about the ones you like. And uh, reach out to me too. Let me know what you like or what you'd like to have on. James at PositivelyDad.com. And I appreciate you listening. We'll see you next time on Positively Dad. Bye-bye.